Thank you so much. And uh, as Martin said, my name is Duncan. I lead Revelation Church. And I want to extend my welcome to you this morning, um, whether I've, it's just because I haven't seen you this morning, or whether it's your first time at Rev, it's so good to have you with us. We love having new people amongst us, as you've probably caught. Um, as Martin just shared, today is not the beginning of a new series. We're starting our, our next teaching series, um, our, our main teaching series for the next few months. Next week, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. Our normal pattern at Rev is that we like to work our way through a particular book in the Bible just see what is it that God wants to say to us as we go through Scripture. Um, And Exodus, we are going to have a good time in Exodus. Exodus really is one of the main stories that echoes throughout the whole of the Bible. It's perhaps the story of Scripture. We see who God is. We uh, see the relationship that he wants with his people and how committed he is to us having that relationship that he would rescue us into it. Um, it is, if you know the book, it is a thrill ride. There's so much that happens. It's dramatic. I'll stop there because otherwise I'll start preaching it, but I'm looking forward to it. But today, as you just heard, our home groups are starting up again. Our midweek things are um, kicking off as well. We'll have our, uh, our, um, the other midweek things we do, our worship and prayer nights, our new church Bible study evenings as well. And I want to today give a reminder for why do we do these things? You've just heard from our notices. They're all basically around the fact that we love being family together. We feel called to be a family. But why do we do these things? Why is Sunday not enough for us? You may have heard in 2018, we were the first nation in the whole world to appoint a minister of loneliness, which is not perhaps an accolade that we want. But even before, remember, this is before the pandemic, so before the isolation, before the social alienation that came from the pandemic, we had this epidemic of loneliness in our nation. And on the day this minister was appointed, they set up a voicemail inbox where you could call in and share some of your own experiences of loneliness. And um, within 24 hours, it was full. And they have recently released this um, documentary. It's just a short documentary where you can hear some of the calls from people. And they're all young people, students, graduates, that sort of age. And it's a, it's a heartbreaking watch as you listen to people um, sharing something of, saying saying things like, how am I surrounded by so many people when I look out of my window, yet I feel so alone? Another one saying that because they feel so disconnected from people, other people, they are starting to feel disconnected from themselves. The fact they've got nobody to talk to, nobody to turn to, um, they just, not even anybody that would say hello to them on a daily basis. They feel like a non-person. They feel inhuman. And it's just one example, because of course that, that would be echoed across many, many different people, of how as a society that we're living in today, we have completely lost our grip on what does it mean for us to be a community together? What does it mean for us to be family? And yet, that is exactly what we, in today's culture, as a church, are called to be. We are called to be a community. We're called to be more than that. We're called to be family. We talk about ourselves. We always have as a church in the four years we've been around. We've called a family following Jesus. And today, I want to look at a passage that may be familiar to us. It may be, in fact, over-familiar to some of us. We might have heard many preachers on it. But I want to look at this, what perhaps is quite a familiar passage to some of us, because I think it is perhaps the stunning example in all of Scripture as to why, what a community can look like and how we can be a community filled with the Spirit. Am I a bit echoey or boomy or am I, should I use a different mic or am I all right? People seem happy. All right. 
Because as we live in this culture, I think we really need to pay attention to what Scripture says. We really need to be shown and instructed, this is what it looks like to live as a community, this is what it means to be family. So if you've got a Bible, do turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 42 onwards. The words will appear on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible. Um, It's good to follow along if you can. It's the fifth book of the uh, the New Testament um, after the Gospels, the book of Acts. And this is describing what the church looked like right at the beginning of its, uh, at its birth. And they devoted themselves, this is the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Following on here, immediately after the day of Pentecost, the day where Jesus had been on earth, the the risen Christ, just before he ascended into heaven, he promised the disciples, just wait around and the Holy Spirit is going to come. And that day was the day of Pentecost, where the promised gift of the Holy Spirit poured out upon the people. They received this gift. They're filled by it. It's dramatic. A little reminder, this is the same Holy Spirit that is available abundantly to us today as believers And this is then what their church life looked like. And we're going to unpack it as we go through. But I first want to draw our attention to verse 46, which gives us kind of this picture of what does everyday life look like for the church. And towards the end of it, in fact, right at the end of it, it says that they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, I don't know how many Greek scholars we have in the room today, but if you knew the sort of sense of the Greek that's going on here, glad may not be the word that you would choose for the translation here. It's a word that's hardly used throughout Scripture. It only turns up five times and otherwise can be translated as intense joy or even wild joy or ecstatic delight and exaltation and exhilaration. In fact, Luke, who wrote this book and also wrote the Gospel of Luke, he only uses this word a few times, and the only other place he uses it is to talk about the joy of the birth of Jesus. Um, One of the times being where John the Baptist is still a baby in the womb, and he he leaps for joy in the presence of of Jesus that's also unborn in a different womb. And it's a kind of word of jumping for joy that is found in this community. And that was everyday life for these people jumping for joy, that kind of sense. They absolutely loved being part of this church family, of what God was forming. That as we consider it today, a society that is just desperate for somewhere where we truly belong, a real family, here we see it. Here we see what the the scholar Luke Johnson describes. He says, here is a community, this church, which realized the highest aspiration of human longing. Unity, peace, joy, and the praise of God. This is the kind of community that Jesus is committed to building. A place of unspeakable joy where the longing of every human heart is met. That's what he wants his church to look like. That's what he wants us to look like. And so the big question, of course, is, all right, well, how can we live this? How do we see it? How do we see a community come, out, come about like this? What can we do to become a family like this? 
Well, as we see, as these believers, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This community was formed. This joy started to overflow within them as they devoted themselves. And they devoted themselves to three things that we'll look at each of them in turn for the rest of our time. They devoted themselves to truth, they devoted themselves to relationship, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Firstly, they devoted themselves to truth. The very first thing that we see, the starting point of who they are that we see of of this church, in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here is this church, fresh from this day of Pentecost. They have just heard Peter preach the best gospel sermon that has ever been preached, because it was the only gospel sermon that had ever been preached at this point. And they just heard it. And they just heard how this Jesus that had been crucified was indeed the Messiah that they had been waiting for all along. They've they've just heard this truth from Peter that Jesus was in fact the fulfillment of all of the promises from their scriptures, that he was in fact the, the fulfillment of the whole nation of Israel. This Messiah that they've been waiting for, this one that was going to come and deliver them and set them free from all of their oppressors and defeat all of their enemies, they're just hearing he was indeed that one. He was the Christ. But as Peter's message goes on, he takes it further and says he wasn't, it's not just that he was the Christ, but that he is the Christ. This one that was crucified is now living again. He's been raised to life, and he is now reigning and in all authority, as we've been singing about already today. And he's offering the forgiveness of sins, and he's offering a way back in that they can get back in on this kingdom reign that he is establishing. And on that day, as they heard Peter preach this message, they were cut to the heart. As they heard this truth, they realized this is, uh, this is something that I need to get in on. And they were desperate to respond. As they heard the truth, they got a taste of it. They said, I need to get in on this. And how can I respond was their response. And now we see them and they are hungry for more. Hungry for more of this truth. But of course, the problem for them was that they couldn't just jump on Amazon, search Bible, get a list of about 400,000 results. And we're like, well, I'll just select the one that's got the best cover that will look the best on my Instagram next to you know, a cup of coffee and a plant and all of those things. Select same-day delivery, and off they go. The New Testament, as we know today, hadn't even been written, let alone available in all good bookshops. And so for them to learn more of the truth, to learn more about this gospel that they'd heard, for it to be satisfied, to satisfy this hunger, they had to devote themselves to the teaching of the apostle. In in devoting themselves to the teaching, they're devoting themselves to the truth, to God's truth. The same truth that's available to us in this book. That as they gathered in the temple grounds and piled themselves into living rooms just so that they could encounter Jesus, the Word of God, through the teaching of those who knew him. The same privilege is extended to us today. We encounter Jesus, the Word of God, simply just by turning a page, putting our phone to one side, and reading. And what we notice is that they devoted themselves to this. This is not just a case of, you know, 
if I've got a bit of time, or if it suits, suits me in the moment, or if I've not got anything else on. Now, you get a sense of, for these, if they heard that teaching was happening, it was like, I'm going to drop everything, I am going to be there. They were desperate to know, desperate to understand more of this mystery of the incarnate, crucified, risen, ascended Christ, God revealed to them. And what we mustn't miss is that this was the motivating, driving energy upon the church of the Holy Spirit. What they had just encountered was a mind-blowing, life-changing experience of the Spirit. They had been waiting in a room, and then all of a sudden, a rushing wind comes in, and there's flames of fire, and they start talking, and they're, they're speaking in tongues, and they go out in the streets, and they keep speaking in tongues, and they realize they're, they're preaching the gospel in a foreign language that they've never learned before, and people are responding and coming to faith. It was a supernatural powerhouse of a moment for these people. They are experiencing the divine in a way they could never have imagined And then what do we see is the first thing that we read in all of Scripture that then defines a church that has experienced this kind of thing, that has been filled, flooded, saturated by the presence and power of God. They are propelled towards the truth of God, propelled towards the Word. They've tasted something of who God is, and they're desperate for more, and the Spirit's witness inside of them is, you can have more. You'll find it in the teaching of those men over there. To us, he would say, you can have more. You'll find it in the words and the pages of this book. As John Stott says, the Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. To truly be people of the Spirit means to be people that are devoted to the Word of God. And you can't truly be a person of the Word of God without the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the highlights of the last year or so for me is to hear and see the hunger in this church for the Word of God. I've had so many conversations with people who have said, I'm just, I want to know more of the Bible. I'm hungry. I'm dissatisfied with what I currently know about the Bible. This is people who have known God for, for many, many years, super familiar with the Bible. It's just, I, I'm, don't have, I, I want more. Or people who are pretty familiar with the Scriptures, but they're just like, I, I know there's gaps I, don't, I want a greater appreciation because I don't quite see how it all hangs together to people who really don't know how to read the Bible for themselves. And they say, I, I'm hungry, but I just don't know where to start. I don't know how to approach Scripture. Of course, there's personal responsibility for all of us in this, that we need to find a way of doing this together, uh, individually. But the sense of this passage is, is togetherness. It is vital for the church as a whole that we devote ourselves to, to the truth together. That in fact, you can't have a community that looks like this without a devotion to the truth of God together. We live in a time where, talking very broad brushstrokes, generalizations, etc., etc., all those caveats, where Bible literacy is on the down. The trend is down in our nation and nations like ours. People less comfortable with scripture, know the Bible less, read the Bible less, less familiar with it. You know, as a family, that cannot be our story. We must be a people going, trending in the opposite direction, growing, learning, going deeper in his word. In a few weeks' time, we're going to be starting our church Bible study evenings, which has a moderate amount of support. (laughs) 
Um, we are going to be starting these evenings as, as just a place where we can devote ourselves to growing together in the Scripture, deepening our knowledge of God. This will be once a month on a Thursday evening here at the Powerhouse. Everyone is invited. We'll come together and we'll study the Bible. And you know, it's going to be super simple. It's not going to be a complex thing, but it could be invaluable for us. We are going to prioritize just the reading of Scripture aloud and hearing it read out together. We're going to take time to go deep into a passage or two within Scripture and look at what does it say? What does it mean? What, what, what was the original intent of this? What, how can we understand God? How can we interpret this? What, is it, what does it mean for us now? How does it maybe, what does it reveal to us about God? All of those sorts of things. And the focus really is not only will we then go away from an evening perhaps knowing a passage or two really, really well, but we will be equipped and ready to be more confident in our own approach to Scripture, whether that's on our own or in groups together, to go deeper and know what it looks like and how we, how we go about it in our own time. I can't wait to get going. This could be a game changer for us to be like this, to be a people who are devoted to Scripture. So firstly, they were devoted to truth. Secondly, they were devoted to relationship. They were, verse 42, devoted to the fellowship. Fellowship's a word we don't hear much outside of church, isn't it? It's a good church word. We'd like to come over to my house. We, we will fellowship together. But at the heart of it is this idea of togetherness. It's the word that would be used for business partnerships in, in this culture. It would be used for community. It would be used for shared participation in something. It's a pretty broad word, but one thing is clear. However it's intended here and used is that they were devoted to a, being a people who were together. This idea of shared togetherness is one that actually is given the greatest emphasis in this description of the church. As after we read about their fellowship in verse 42, in, in, yeah, in verse 42, in verse 44, it then goes on to expand, and it says, all who believed were together. There's just this emphasis on this kind of all-encompassing, all-inclusive togetherness. You know, like whatever's on the agenda, whatever we're doing, we do it together. And then that idea is expanded again in verse 46, where it says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. That word together again, and then obviously breaking bread in their homes, there's the, the implication of, of course, they're together there. And this breaking of bread, by the way, in, here and in verse 42, most likely is not talking about the Lord's Supper of the bread and the wine shared together, but it's more just talking about a simple meal. That what we're seeing here is that this was a, a church gathering together to do what we would say is going to church as they go to the temple together, and then they hung out in homes and they shared food again together. And it's this that leads to what we looked at at the beginning, this glad and generous hearts, this great joy. And this was there every single day. We see it at the beginning of the verse. It says day by day they were doing these things. And again, in the sentence construction of the Greek, actually this lands in the, what they call the emphatic position which is quite a nice thing to say, isn't it, in the emphatic position. Basically, what they're doing is double underlining this was what they did every single day. This is not just a Sunday thing. This is not just a Wednesday night thing. Every single day, they were coming together, sharing food, hanging out, doing life together. So you get the, the, the kind of sense that they would never do anything. They wouldn't even go to the shops or, I don't know, go into their, tidy their bedroom without somebody from the church family being with them and being present in it. 
Now, introverts amongst us, you can relax. <laughs> the application of this is not, you are deeply in sin if you ever do anything on your own. <laughs> we are all individuals, we all have different personality types, we've got to appreciate that. But what I do think this highlights to us is just how valuable being together is. How valuable it is for our own well-being and how valuable it is for us as a church. That while being devoted to the truth was the first thing that Luke wants to highlight here, the main thing that he wants to emphasize is just that these people, they were together. It's just so simple. That just being together, time with one another, leads us towards being this kind of community. This is why the now legendary post-church trips to Weatherspoon's pub down the road are so good. An open invite, by the way. Everybody is invited to this. Come to the pub with us after church. Get some lunch. Um, it's why these are so good. They're a pretty sizable group every single Sunday that have just spent two or three hours together hanging out, catching up, saying, well, they've kicked us out of the building now. Should we keep hanging out? Let's go and get some lunch. Not because they love Weatherspoons. I've been there. Definitely not a place that you go to because you love it. But because we're committed to being together. We want to spend time together. We want to be family. Other people inviting people they don't really know from the church family back to their home. Let's get to know one another. Come to my house. Let's share a meal. Or even people I've just met on a Sunday. I've got food in the, in the slow cooker. Would you come back? Or countless other examples I've heard of going shopping together or going for a city break or even going abroad on holiday. These kind of things. This is what builds our family. So simple. And yet all of us, we feel the pressure. All of us feel like we've got less and less free time. We're, the margins of our lives are squeezed. The work is demanding more and more hours from us. Or uni just seems to be kind of the, the deadlines are just getting more and more and more piled up. Or the jobs that we're looking at just seem to require more and more qualifications. And so we almost have no free time whatsoever. And then the little time that we do have, we're just like, oh, surely I, I want to do something for me. I want to devote something for, for us. I want to give... My, I, I want to just relax and unwind. We, in those moments, I think we feel most the pressure and the pull of a society that puts no value at all on community and puts ultimate value on pursuing personal goals, entertainment and relaxing and comfort. And it's in those moments where we have to choose to be a countercultural person to live counter to the prevailing culture. And it is a, it is a choice. Because notice in verse 42, it doesn't say they were devoted to fellowship. It says they devoted themselves to fellowship. They had to take action. So the Spirit is moving upon them in the most powerful way we can possibly imagine, and yet still they required action on their part. It, it required an act of the will. It required disciplining of the self. There definitely would have been evenings for them when it's like the home group evening rolls around and they just feel, oh, I'm a bit tired. Or they look out the window and it's like, traffic's bad, it's raining because I live in Manchester or Jerusalem or whatever. And I don't fancy it. And maybe not every time, but I reckon most times they would have got off the sofa and been like, no, no, I've decided I'm going to be devoted to this. And as they were devoted, we see then how their community deepens. We read specifically about how they gave to one another from verse 44. 
They had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We read in verse 46, they opened up their homes and they had meals together. In this culture, that is basically inviting someone right into the depths of your life, like come right into who I am and, and into the family. And as they opened up their lives and they shared food and they uh, did this day by day by day, the more they were together, the more they opened up their lives. It's just natural that they started to love one another. They started to care for one another. They started to spot, oh, there's an area of need in that person's life, and I'm able to, to meet it. So they gave as they saw fit. And as relationships started to develop and go deeper, the bonds of trust started to form. And so actually they could say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I actually don't have much at the moment. And in the community, they rose to the occasion. What is it you need? Is it food? Is it clothing? Is it somewhere to stay? What can we do? How can we help? So devoted were they to we are together that they took action, selling, distributing, as we read in that verse, taking initiative to love those that they'd been brought together with. Back in February, I shared on our Vision Sunday the picture of the tent from Isaiah 54, you might remember if you were around, where God was encouraging us as a people to, to strengthen our stakes of our tent, that as we strengthen, he will then stretch out the place of our tent. He will take us wider and, and further, that we'll grow as a people, but he'll also take us into places that we could never get to ourselves. And one of those priorities that we talked about of strengthening was strengthening our community, that our tent would only stretch as wide as our community goes. And that has really been a sovereign foundation, I think, that God has laid in us since we started, that we are a family together, but he wants us to go deeper. And I think for those that have been around since February, since I shared that, I think you would agree God has done something amongst us, that he really has done a work amongst us, as I was alluding to before, of, of being a people that want to go and be together. Even in Weatherspoon's pub, we will go, just so we can be together. But because he has done something special amongst us, I don't think we should then you know, get complacent and think, oh, that's done. But I think he's inviting us to go deeper. I think there's so much more for us to get hold of, of being truly family together. These kind of to develop these kind of relationships where we see each other's needs, we know people well enough to know what the needs might be, where these trust bonds are formed, where we can actually feel comfortable enough to say, you know what, I'm, I need something, I, need to, I want to open up and say, Could you, do you think someone might be able to help me with this? Where generosity is just abundantly flowing from person to person. At Vision Sunday, I also pointed out, I think home groups are vital for this. Starting again this week, as Martin so brilliantly pointed out, this is the place where we mainly are able as a church to live this out, where we're regularly together with a small group of people in a home, in a place where we can genuinely build these relationships, where we get to know real people who trust us with their real needs. And as they trust us with their needs, we are then confronted with that question, am I going to love this person? Am I going to choose to try and meet that need if I'm able to? We're also confronted with the question of, am I going to open up myself and share something of what's going on in my life? Because I think as a church, we are starting to get to that size where if you come in, many of us, I think, would come in and think, I want to be able to give something of myself. I want to be able to be generous and love people. But where can I do this? Where can I invest something of myself? Well, here's your filter. If you're in a home group, whoever you have been put 
in a home group with, whoever you happen to find. You'll find people that are like you. You will find people that are not like you at all. You'll find some people that you click with like that. You'll find some people you're like, I've got no chemistry with you whatsoever. This is what it looks like. I want to encourage us, beginning of this new term, let's make this term one of being the people who are together. Maybe a people who open up our home to people we're already good friends with or people that rearrange our diaries to get to home group, even though it is that little bit more awkward and challenging for us. This is what it looks like to be a church devoted to fellowship, that our tent will only go as wide as our community goes deep. Finally, they were devoted to prayer. They devoted themselves to the prayers. That's interesting. It's not just that they were devoted to prayer, but that kind of the prayers. And the commentators point out, this wasn't, this is a good chance, this wasn't that they were devoted to particular prayers or praying at particular times, but just a way of referring to prayer had become such a regular part of who they were. That just whenever they met, they would pray. It was not always the same prayers, but there was always time for the prayers. And this is something, of, again, of what we see in verse 46, where it talks about day by day, again, emphasizing that regularity. This happened every time that they met. They would be praising God. Worship and prayer interlinked and intertwined in the New Testament church. And we see this devotion to prayer all the way through the book of Acts. Not often in the book of Acts do we get the whole church in view. Often we're focusing on one individual or another individual. But the times where a whole church is in view, pretty much every time they are praying together. In Acts chapter 4 in Jerusalem, the church is having a prayer meeting in a time of crisis. In Acts chapter 6, they're appointing deacons, and what are the church doing? They're praying. In Acts chapter 13, we see the church in Antioch, and they are going the whole nine yards. They are praying, they're worshipping, and they're fasting as they are looking to send Barnabas out and Paul on their missionary journey to advance the kingdom. It may not get much expansion in this passage, passage, them being a praying people, but if you go through the book of Acts, if there is one thing that marks the church, one thing that's just recurring time and time again is that they prayed. They were devoted to prayer, persistent in their prayer. I think as we look at this church, as we've seen so far, I think it could be tempting to think, this looks like the best church ever to be part of. Or I just like, I bet they're having a great time all the time. They're, they're like hanging out, endless dinner parties going on, everybody's loved, there's no lack. We could fall into thinking, this looks like actually quite a comfortable church existence. But as we go through and as we look, we need to remember, this was the only church in existence at this time the only church that there was. And this church had just been given a mission, just been directly from the mouth of Jesus. They had been told, it is on you, on your shoulders, to take all that you have received, to take this gospel and take it out to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is what you have to do. This is what you exist for. This ragtag bunch, this group of people that has been brought together to form a new church, it's up to them. No 
highly paid campaign strategist on board, no investors, no slick advertising campaign, just them. But this church knew that their primary calling was not to stay and be comfortable here, but they knew that they had to go and get profoundly uncomfortable out there. And they knew the only chance they had was if they prayed. I think that's one of the things that really stands out as you look at the church here, you look at the church throughout Acts, is that they really knew what it was that they were about, what they existed for, what they were made for. They knew that they were made not to be a people that look in, but to be a people who reach out. They knew that this mission that they'd been given, that their calling, why they were here, was way beyond anything that they might be able to pull off for themselves. So they prayed. And they prayed together, whenever they were together. When they gathered regularly, daily, they got together, big gatherings, small gatherings, and they prayed, crying out to God, would you do what only you can do, God? And I think for us, it asks us the question, do we know what we are made for? Because if we are content to be a church where maybe we do great meetings, we have fun socials, we do things that are comfortable and, and things that are just for us or perhaps other people who might be looking out for a church or would be happy going to a church thing, we may not then be a people that are compelled to pray. Because we might think, well, broadly, we can sort of pull off those kind of things. We might be able to do it. It feels like it's kind of in our strength and in our power to do it. But it's when we see we are here to reach the city of Manchester. We are here to take the gospel out. When we feel absolutely dwarfed by the calling that is upon us, when we feel something of kind of the, the terrifying call of what God wants us to do and has, has asked us to be, when we feel the holy responsibility that God has given us, that we, yeah, alongside other churches in the city, of course, but our responsibility is to reach the city, to take the gospel out to a desperate, needy city. When we know that is what we're here for, then we pray. Then we know nothing else will do. We really cannot do this in our own strength. We must pray. And so we'll pray. We'll pray on a Sunday. We'll pray on a, in our home groups. We'll pray at our worship and prayer evenings that will be starting up again soon where we get extended time to worship and extended time to call out to God, would you move in our city? Would you move amongst us? And we'll have more context like our Friday morning prayer so that we become a people where it's just natural for us to gather together and pray together that we may have the joy of seeing God transform a city through us. Because that's something of what we see here. This is a church that's devoted to truth. They're devoted to relationship. They're devoted to prayer. And they saw then God devote himself to growing them. From verse 47, they had favor with the people. Those outside of the church started to be drawn in to them. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord Jesus Christ, the enthroned king of the universe, he is so committed to saving people, so committed to drawing in those who are lost and bringing them to saving faith. He gave everything for this. He's given his life that all may see and all may come into eternal life. And he's so committed to saving the lost through his church. 
through us. This is how he is looking to save the world, through us, through his people. That he has joined us together, not only so that we would find this intense, wild joy of a community where the longing of every human heart is met, but so that we might get added in to his great mission. That we would have the joy of seeing him do the impossible, the unthinkable, the highly unlikely through us. That through our feet going and through our hands praying for the sick and through our mouths proclaiming the gospel, we might get to see him move in ways we could never have imagined. That those that are lost, those that are least, those that are lonely in our city would come to know him. So I'm sure you can see, this is why we're structuring our midweek as we are. Sundays are great. Sundays are our most important day because we get a bit of all of these things together. We get to come together for genuine fellowship, genuine time together. We get to hear from the truth and receive from the truth. We get to praise and worship God together and pray together. But reality is we need more than just a Sunday. So every week we are making room for more. Most of the time we'll be home groups where we're giving extended time so that we can build these relationships, trust can be born, we can love one another, and then monthly worship and prayer, church Bible study, so that we can go deep in prayer, deep in truth together. But of course, this goes beyond just meetings. This is a culture that we need to, be as a, need to embody as a church, that Sundays and midweeks, this hopefully will build the rhythm in us and who we are as a people, so that as individuals and as a church, We live it out, not just on a Sunday, not just on a Wednesday, not not just on a Thursday, but day by day. This is who we are. This is what we do. We are a church. We're a family. We're devoted to the truth. We're devoted to relationship, and we're devoted to prayer.